stay connected. Sign up for our newsletter. Go beyond your favorite World Talk radio shows. Visit iradioblog.com. The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The human mind, body, emotions, and spirit are more powerful than anyone can imagine, and we will learn to utilize each of them to the maximum and learn to make decisions about what we want and how we want to feel. What a concept, and one we will explore today on the Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. On our program, we'll address who you are, why you're here on this planet, how to go within, how to come to know what you believe, and why. Now, here's your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon. As I always say, in sunny Arizona, it's 100 degrees right now, going up to 110. So um, it's going to be another hot day, almost too hot to do anything. Oh, wait, that's an excuse, isn't it? Mm. Actually, I was going to talk a little bit about excuses. It seems like we've become a society of excuse makers. It seems our failure is always somebody else's fault. Mothers get blamed for almost everything that goes wrong in our lives these days. Uh, you know, she didn't love me enough. She didn't pay enough attention to me. She smothered me with attention. She was too strict. She wasn't strict enough. Poor mom. You know, or dad catches it. He wasn't understanding. He didn't say he loved me. He wasn't around enough. Or he wasn't around at all. He expected too much or he didn't expect enough. Hey, how do you deal with that? It's society's fault. I didn't have an opportunity. They, you know who they is. They wouldn't let me get ahead. Or the old classics. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too fat. I'm too skinny. I'm too rich. I'm too poor. I'm too something. Now, it's interesting when you look around and take stock there are those who've had absolutely every advantage a person could possibly have. They have talent. They have looks. They have money. They have support from every side. They're encouraged, but they still don't make it. And when they run up against a roadblock, they just simply quit. Then there are those who kind of look like the deck was stacked against them, and they just keep going on what makes the difference now why is that our guest today is one of those whose deck seems stacked against her but nobody could convince her of that she just keeps having one success after another and I don't mean she hasn't had challenges 
because man, she's really had her cha- her share of them, but she just keeps going and she turns uh, trial into success somehow. There's a child's toy called a weeble. They're little toy people for little tiny children to play with. And their slogan is, Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. I think Chitoka Webb must be part weeble because she's had some wobbles, but she doesn't fall down. And if she gets almost down, she certainly doesn't stay there. Chitoka Webb is a successful business owner. She's a motivational speaker and an author. She lives in Tennessee. She was raised by a single mom. She grew up in the Preston Taylor housing projects, landing her first job at a grocery store when she was just 13. And we're going to talk about the housing project. When she was a senior in high school, she was told by school authorities that she couldn't graduate with her class. And she was told this the week before graduation. Now, that would be enough to just destroy a lot of people. She was one point short in her chemistry class and he wouldn't give her that point. She's in her mid-30s now, and I know we don't ever tell a woman's age, but my goodness, we have to know hers because she's done so much in such a short time. She owns several businesses that she founded. Nobody gave them to her. She started them from scratch. Some of her successes include being appointed by the governor of Tennessee as a board of trustees to a state-appointed board, a mentor for the Nashville Juvenile Justice Center, president of the Nashville Chamber of Commerce Business Council and being elected to the Entrepreneurs Organization. She currently volunteers as an auditor for the Nashville United Way and serves as a board member for the Middle Tennessee YMCA. And that's just that's just a little bit of what she's done and what she does. She has a book just out called Something Inside of Me. How to Hang on to Heaven When You're Going Through Hell. And we're going to hear about that. Chautauqua, welcome to the Self-Improvement Show. Oh, Irene, thank you. It is a pleasure. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here. And it's also a pleasure to know that I'm part Weeble. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they kind of have a round bottom, but that's not an insult. They they just don't. I appreciate that. I take it as a compliment. They just don't fall down. My kids had them, and we used to say that a lot. Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. And it's such a wonderful thing for people who've made it through all the stuff that happens. You know, they're a weeble. They they you know they've been whacked a lot, but they never fall down. So you yeah. know, you, oh, I definitely take it as a compliment. Oh, absolutely. Before we really get into your your life growing up and how you managed to deal with all of that, you know, you you say how to hang on to heaven when you're going through hell. What's your heaven and what's your hell? I think your heaven and your hell is your state of mind, because your your state of mind your state of mind governs your actions. It governs your thoughts. It governs your decisions. So I personally believe that, you know, wherever you are in your mind is where you're going to be in life. So to me, heaven and hell is not some far-off place. It's right now, and it's in your mind. 
And I hope our listeners all heard that. I couldn't agree with you more, and I couldn't have said it better. You know, you make your own heaven and you create your own hell. And we live it right here in the now, many times, all the time. So tell us a little bit about your childhood. Your mom had to work to, to make a living. I know you had, I, did, I don't know whether you had more than one sister, I don't remember, but I know you had siblings. What was it uh, like growing up with a sim, single mom in the projects of Nashville? Well, you know, one of the reasons why I decided to make sure that I included um, that particular point in time in my life, because I know that people have a perception um, as it pertains to low-income areas or housing projects. And what I wanted to show in my writing is even though we lived in a crime-ridden area, um, I also had a lot of love. And the principles that my mother taught me as a child um, were principles that I used as a foundation and a platform to live my life and build my businesses. So one of the things that she taught um, my sisters and I, because I have two sisters, And one of the things that she taught us constantly was to treat people the way that you want to be treated. And when I was younger, whether I did something to someone or whether someone did something to me, that was always her response, was to treat people the way that you want to be treated. And I never, I I grabbed hold uh, to to the principle and lived it, but I never really understood until I got older why she would tell me that even if someone did something ugly to me. And being a business owner really helped me to understand that because as a business owner, you are at fault for everything. If someone wins, if someone loses, if someone quits, if someone's fired, if some, you, the society looks to you um, as if you are, you know, you're responsible for everything. So the businesses that thrive and the businesses that are successful, they set up different avenues for people to place complaints, for people to place concerns. And when you can take that principle, treat people the way that you want to be treated, and you can take that principle and you can embrace those who may be ugly to you, those who may be mean to you, you learn to keep the power within yourself by not reacting to them or what they do to you, but by learning from the situation and remembering that in the end, you're only going to be held accountable for the things that you do, not the things that people do to you. So that was, I would say that's the biggest principle that my mother taught me because at a young age, I learned how, I'm talking like five and six, I learned how to be respectful of other people's thoughts, um, other people's wishes, um, other people's things, other people's space. And growing up with that one particular principle, it led to good business decisions. It led to good choices. It led to good work um, habits. And so that principle, I believe, is what set me up for success. So growing up in the Preston Taylor Housing Projects, while there was, you know, a lot of crime and a lot of things going on on the outside, my mother did not let that distract her from the things that she was responsible for teaching us 
on the inside of our home, which was, yes. you know, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, thank you, um, you know, being respectful of others and so forth. And you didn't see that, I'm sure, in the children around you. I, You know, I... When I was in first, second grade, we were in the projects in San Francisco, only I didn't know <laughs> that they were projects. Uh, my mm-hmm. mother worked in the shipyards during the war, and we lived in the housing provided there. We were poor. I didn't know we were poor. Um, and there was all kinds of stuff going on around. But, you know, like your mother did, my mother set down some rules and... Um, we we followed them. We we didn't have the the freedom to do as we pleased, even when she wasn't there, and it made a tremendous wow. difference. And you know, I don't know whether you knew you were poor or not. I didn't. Um, I remember I didn't. now looking back how much yeah, my mother until I got older. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, became you know successful. Um, and I think that I think that is a good example of the saying that love co- love conquers all. I agree. And oftentimes, you know, even now being um, successful, the one thing that I try to remember, while it is um, comforting to live in a home with clean running water and um, you know AC and heat and all those things. The thing that makes a home a home is love, and if exactly. you got that, you got the you got the best thing out there. I I, I totally agree with you. I, I, there's no challenge there. Um, you talk in your book about being lonely when you were a child in school because you were different. Uh, I remember specifically the the example of your. Talking correctly, you use good grammar. Your mother taught you to. She helped you with your spelling. Um, remarkable mother you had. Thank but you. how how long were you in that kind of place that you felt different? And how did you cope as a child with that difference in a society that wants us all to be the same? Um, well, I think I'm still in that place. Um, I think the difference between now and then is that now I'm okay with it. And now I know that it's a good thing, it's not a bad thing. And oftentimes when you are a child and you're different, sometimes you, you don't know what's wrong because in your mind you're, you're doing everything right, you're doing the good things. And even now, even though that was a year, years ago when I was in the fifth grade, but even now being a good kid is not cool. It's not no. good. Not, it's not. It's not something that is appreciated, at least within the within the school amongst children. And so I was one of the things that um, when we, you know, while we were living in the housing projects, and even when we moved out, we had to read out loud. And so there was no, you know, going in your room and closing the door and read. And so whether we were reading a book, and oftentimes our mother would have us. Um, read the Sunday paper and out loud so that we could hear ourselves as we were reading. So while the other kids in school, you know, they were allowed to say, you know, and then, and even if they were just having a general conversation, because sometimes when you're having a a general conversation, people are more relaxed. And so, you know, they may say, well, you know, I was walking down the steps and da-da-da-da-da-da. 
Well, we had to put that G on the end of walking. Yes. There were no shortcuts with my mother. And so, well, in school, that, of course, made me totally unpopular because, and mostly to the black kids, um, you know, I was taunted and I was picked on because they said that I talked like a white girl. And that was an insult, wasn't it? It it was an insult because in my mind, I didn't think that I was talking white. I thought that I was talking correctly. And But it's a lot for a kid to adjust, again, because you're doing something right. And you're being taunted because you're doing something right. And so that particular story that you're talking about in the book, one day I got fed up with it. I got tired of it. And, you know, kids, as I write in the book, they want to be liked. You know, kids want friends. They want people to acknowledge their shoes and their new jacket and so forth. Kids don't want to make enemies with other kids. And so, but this one day, I got I got tired of it, and I had decided in my mind that I'd rather be alone than to be taunted for speaking correctly. And then my mother was not going to tolerate me speaking incorrectly at home. So, you know, it's, it's those kind of predicaments young children are put in when they're young because they're different. And so um, it was, I think what kind of got me over that that mountain was I had a a situation with my sister, which I write about in the book. And um, we didn't have much money. And so ever since I can remember all of my sisters, we've always been the same height, same size, even though we're four years apart and the oldest sister, we're five years apart. So I would share my clothes with her and she didn't want to share her clothes with me. And so my mom told me, she said, well, just tell her no the next time. And I remember standing there in the days because something inside of me said, well, I don't know how to say no. I can't tell her oh. no. And it was, it, was a, a, it was really a struggle for me. So I went in my room, and I was praying. And I remember crying and telling God, you know, make me mean. Make me like all these other people. <laughs> You know, because it's something wrong with me, and everybody knows it but me, and I, I couldn't figure it out. And but needless to say, as I got older, I began to understand that you are only, um, I don't want to say it, being different um, is something that you have to grow into. I would say just like being gifted. Yes. Um, when you look at uh, uh, Bill Gates. Uh-huh. Hold that thought. It's time for us to take a short break. I, I, want, I want to continue with that thought when okay. we come back. So okay. this is Irene Conlon for the Self-Improvement Show with my guest, Shatoka Webb, saying we'll be right back, so don't go away. You don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take World Talk Radio on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Tune in to Green with Envy every week for the most up-to-date information about living a green, fulfilling life. With a mix of serious inquiry and engaging humor, host Peter Terweem and his guest experts uncover topical issues and refreshing stories that'll keep you informed and inspired. We'll want to hear from you during the live program as well. Green with Envy is broadcast live every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on World Talk Radio Variety.
the World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to listen and talk. You are tuned in to the Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is theselfimprovementblog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to the Self-Improvement Show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon. My guest today is Chautauqua Webb, and she is a dynamo of a woman, a businesswoman. Before the break, we were talking about how you cope with being different, especially as a child, and how you bring that forward to use it to your advantage. Chautauqua, finish your thought on that. Sure. Um, I was speaking about um, that basically being different coming to grips with it, learning to accept it, and, pre- and to appreciate it. It's a process. Um, <clears throat> I was speaking about Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and Oprah Winfrey and Michael Jackson and um, people who all talk about, you know, being younger and, and feeling different. And I think that it's, um, it's just a matter of allowing whatever that different, that thing within you that makes you uh, different, allowing it to grow and allowing it to manifest, but a lot of it is not going to make sense until you get older. So that's basically what I talk about in Chapter 2, the loneliness of being different. Yeah, it's too bad that in our schools or along the way somewhere, children don't learn that we're all different. You know, there's no two people alike anywhere on the planet. And, you know, the the fun is finding out what about us is is especially unique and special. You know, you have many things, but but one of the things that I want to talk about, share with our listeners, your high school graduation, what happened to you, how you finally managed to finish high school, what what that all that meant to you, because that seems to me like a r- incredibly traumatic experience for a young 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 woman. At that point, you were a young woman. Yeah. Oh, it it, it was very traumatic. Um, about a week before my high school graduation, um, I had participated in the graduation ceremony, taken my senior pictures, got my class ring. Um, the only thing I was waiting to do was to graduate. Um, and back then, you could send out as many invitations as you wanted. So I sent out, sent out over 50 high school um, graduation invitations to various family and friends. And about a week before graduation, I got... Uh, a message from the guidance counselor that I was not going to graduate. And at first I thought maybe maybe I didn't hear her correctly because I couldn't figure out, you know, why would you wait a week until graduation to tell me this? Exactly. And, that uh, was my, you know, I thought, what, what were they thinking? Right. So it's definitely, you know, some, some mistakes made on behalf of the school. And so she said, well, you have a 69 in your chemistry class and you need a 70. And in my mind, I'm thinking, are you kidding? A point? You know, who, what, it, it almost seemed like it was a joke, you know, because I'm thinking one, one measly point. Right. And so um, I, so when she said it was in my chemistry class, Mr. Lashley, which was the chemistry teacher, was my favorite teacher throughout um, high school. 
So I marched my way to his class, really not even giving it any more thought um, because I figured, okay, favorite teacher, one point, graduation, week away. Okay, that's not rocket science. Surely he'll give it to me. And he hadn't said anything to you either, had he? He hadn't said a word to me. Nobody had. I thought I was home free. And, um, And so needless to say, I get to his class. And I tell him, you know, I just got a call from the guidance counselor. Um, she said that I have a 69-year class. I need a 70. And as I was talking, I was waiting on him to say, oh, you know, well, this is what you can do to make up the point, or let's do this. I was waiting on him to say something. And he didn't say anything. And so I kept, you know, looking at him, and he said, so what do you want me to do about it, Ms. Webb? And I kind of got a small inclination then that, I might have a problem. And yeah. so I you know, looked at him and I said, well, it's just a point, you know, because that's the only thing that I could think to say at that particular time. You know, I'm not asking for 50 points or even three points. I'm asking for one point and, you know, what I could do to make it up. So I said, it's just a point. And he looks at me and he says, yeah, it is just a point, but it's a point you didn't earn. And I was shattered. I was shattered. I was devastated. I was traumatized. Um, I was broken. And I didn't even really have any, I couldn't, I couldn't even, I was so devastated, I couldn't even speak. And he said to me, um, yeah, that's what he said. He said, you know, it's a point, but it's a point you didn't earn. And I didn't, I was just, I mean, I felt like I had been hit by a tank. You had and, been. Um, <laughs> I had been, right? So I left out, you know, and I went home and I tried to figure out, you know, having to deal with that alone, you know, because all kids go to school to graduate. Every If you're going to elementary school, junior high school, high school, college, pre-med, master's program, everyone goes to school to graduate. Exactly. And so, and I knew that if I missed that day with my high school class, I would never get that opportunity again. So I went home, and just the thought of it made me feel nauseous. And so needless to say, I I didn't graduate. And going through that situation, again, I kept thinking about my mother's principle, treat people the way that you want to be treated. And going through that situation, I realized that not only should I treat people the way that I want to be treated, but I should treat myself like that. And so I vowed that, you know, I would never put myself in a position again where I had to ask someone for something that I was responsible for earning, even a point. So I got, so I, 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 you know, dealt with all that and feeling down and moping around for a few months, and then the next summer I went to um, summer school to get the one point. And I decided to invite Mr. Lashley to my graduation. And when I pulled up uh, for the graduation, he was the first guest there. Lovely. And when the, when the graduation when it was over, he said to me, he said, doesn't it feel better when you earn it? And as I was leaving that day, I had a, this thought came to my mind, and that thought was, when you earn it, it can't be taken away. So you kind of put the power back in your hands. But it was it was a it, it was a devastating moment. But I I again believe 
you know, like my mother, I believe that he set me up for, for success. And so even as I'm talking about this now, the life that I have lived, I have had adults um, in my life along the way who have shown me that you have to leave your excuses at the door because once you come in, they don't matter. Almost means nothing. You know, I tried means nothing. You have to do it. You have to do it. That's the only way you can get over the finish line. Somebody told me that hope and try are failure words, and I thought that's a... That's an awful thing to say, but you know it's the truth. Because if you're just hoping and you're just trying, you're never getting it done. Mm. You know, so, so Nike has it just right on. Just do it. Just do it. But just do it. But it must have taken something special. I mean, this thing inside you was definitely at play to have you react this way to such a situation at that age because at that age you don't have a lot of resources to draw on you don't have a lot of life experiences that says I can get through this you know and and I'll look for the lesson here I'll look for what this is what is in this that's going to make me better stronger wiser whatever um it's a it's really an amazing reaction for a person that age to think it through that way. The thing that I drew upon was the fact that I had a choice. And for whatever reason, I've always seen two choices in front of me. No matter, you know, what the situation was, I've always seen, okay, you can either do this or you you can either do that. And so you're right. When you are younger, there's not a lot of resources to draw upon um, other than, you know, for most people, the resources that you have within the home. And being raised in a single-parent home, oftentimes there's not a lot of resources, but there is a lot of faith. And and sometimes when you draw upon um, that faith, um, it can get you through, you know, where you are. And the one thing about being raised in a home where there is a lot of faith, faith always calls on you to do the things that you can do, the things that you are responsible for doing. And in that moment, even at a young age, I realized even though it was just a point, I was responsible for earning that point. Not the guidance counselor, not Mr. Lashley, not my mother, not the president. I was the only one responsible for earning that point. And the only way that I was going to get past that situation was that I earned that point. So I think even when you don't have a lot of resources to draw upon, um, look around and learn to appreciate the value of having choices. That is such uh, that that's a very strong point. It's interesting though because many people don't see a choice. They only see what I would call the evil that's fallen upon them. They have, and even though they cause it themselves, they don't see that they have a choice. They need to wallow. Um, 
No wallowing for you. Oh, no. <laughs> we will wallow, it. but we don't fall down. Yeah, don't <laughs> fall down. And on that note, we're going to go to another break. This is okay. Irene Conlon with my guest, Chautauqua Webb. We're going to be right back because we're weebles. We don't fall down, and we come right back. Find out what's happening on the World Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword World Talk Radio. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health and Wellness is delighted to finally have the opportunity to fulfill the requests of our many guests and listeners to extend the Mind, Brain, and Body experience to a second hour. Tune in for The Lyceum, Critiques of Ancient and Modern Understanding with Dr. Michael Kell. The purpose of this show is to explore and expand upon mankind's continual efforts to explain why we exist. Join us each week as we continue our fireside chats with some of the most remarkable thinkers living today. The Lyceum airs Fridays at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific on World Talk Radio Variety. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. You are tuned in to The Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is theselfimprovementblog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to The Self-Improvement Show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Chautauqua Webb. Chautauqua Webb is, to me, a version of Wonder Woman. Um, We were talking before the break about how she was told a week before graduation from high school that she would not graduate, how she went back, made up that one point in chemistry, got her diploma, and then... Tell us what happened from there, Shatoka. Tell us about your career path. Okay, sure. Um, I started working in a barbershop at the age of 23. Um, And then at the age of 24 is when I began to develop uh, my first barbershop. Um, One of the reasons why I wanted to, to go into being a business owner is because, again, as I was speaking about earlier about choices, I saw when I was younger, I I started working at 13, and from 13 to 24, I was usually working two jobs. You know, it would be nothing for me to work 16 hours a day, you know, for a year straight because I was usually working, you know, two jobs. So I was a very, very hard worker. And what I found was that if you want more, you're going to have to create your own path. If you want to um, expand uh, what it is that you believe in or, you know, share with the masses, you're going to have to create your own path. And so that was one of the reasons why I decided to uh, go into owning my own barbershop. What got got you into barbering, though? How did you get to be a barber? Well, actually, there was no, there was nothing, you know, not anything particular. Um, 
I, I had often asked myself that once I started, but my earliest memory of even wanting to cut hair was when I was about 16 or 17, and I was dating this guy, and I really, really, really liked him. He's like one of the nicest guys that I'd ever dated. And he was coming over that afternoon. And, of course, you know, we had uh, boy cousins. So we had some clippers uh, in my home. So when my boyfriend came over uh, later that evening, uh, before he got there, I remember being asleep. And I had, I had awakened to these strange feelings in my hand. And so, I mean, I can't really give, like, a logical reason why I have those feelings in my hand, but, but I did. And so when he came over that day, you know, I told him, I said, well, you know, let me cut your hair. And, of course, you know, he was not enthused about that at all, but he liked me, so he let <laughs> me do it. And so when I got, I, I had shaved the sides off, and it was really smooth, and I had, you know, um, edged up or lined up you know, the front really nice, but I couldn't fade it in. So he had a bowl <laughs> cut. And, you know, boys wouldn't be caught dead with a bowl cut. No. And so needless to say, he got mad at me, and I never heard from him again. Oh. So, but, it, but that's when the desire of the urge to cut hair, that was the first um, so, experience so I ever you had. Your, did you put yourself through barber school then? I did, yep. I pay for uh, uh, barber, and I'll tell you a, a real funny, so, well, not funny, but another obstacle that I had in, in barber school. Barber school, for the most part, if you go full-time, I know at least back then um, in the 90s, if you go full-time, you can finish in nine months. Well, it actually took me three months because Whoa. a month before um, I was scheduled to graduate, I developed, uh, it's called a plinautable cyst on my tailbone. So I had to have surgery, and then I was bedridden. And I didn't write about that. Um, uh, yeah. I just wanted to share that with you now. And so, but needless to say, again, going back to choices, um, you know, I kind of figured, you know, I'm not going to be able to, to graduate unless I figure out a way um, how to get, to get to barber school so I can get the rest of my hours. So I called the instructor and asked him if I could cut sitting down on a pillow. And he allowed me to do that for 30 days, and I was able to graduate from barber school. So what was your biggest dream then, being a barber or having your own business? You said what was my biggest what? I'm sorry? What, your biggest, what was your strongest dream at that time, being a good barber or starting your own business? What, what did you want the well, most? I think to be... To be um, what I wanted the most was I wanted to be a good person. I and, like and it's that. interesting That's because all the businesses that I've ever had and everything that I've ever done, it is all derived from that, from wanting to be a good person. And these things just kind of fell in my path. These were not things that I sought after. Or they were not things that you know, I had dreamed about as a child and I wanted to do this and wanted to do that. I've always wanted to be a good person. And I've wanted to share and show people that this is what you can do doing good. Because oftentimes when people see people who are super successful and have a lot of money, we have a tendency to believe that they've done something wrong. They must have. They must have cheated somebody. Yeah. They must have gotten over on somebody. And that's just not the case. That's not true. 
That's not and true, so no. I would say that, that my biggest dream, um, other than barbering and being a business owner, was I wanted to be a good person. What an admirable dream. The thing that struck me in your book when you're talking about your businesses and the barbershop is how you always wanted excellence and how you wanted to ha- ha- you wanted your people to be happy there. You know, the people who worked with you, the people who came there, you wanted a place for them to to feel I think you said you wanted a place that they would feel at peace. Right. That, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, remarkable. Thank you. Um, you know, because as I said earlier, one of the reasons why I wanted to, I drifted off into starting my own business was because I didn't really, I could never adapt and I was never accepted um, within, you know, black barbershops as far as my business practices. Um, now my my skills and uh, being able to connect with people was okay, but I could never grasp, you know, if someone was supposed to be there at four, you know, they come two hours late or, you know, the smoking, um, the loud noise, the cursing, and I just could never, ever adapt to it, and I was not trying to adapt to it. So I knew that the only way that I could continue was, I had to create my own barbershop, and I could not figure out how barbershops came to that when they were founded on um, the basis of providing the community with resources. Because if you go back and you look at history, black barbershops were were consistent with churches almost because in black barbershops you could vote. Um, There was someone, you know, maybe someone there that could teach you how to read and write the resources were numerous. And so I wanted to get I wanted to get back to that and I also wanted um, you know, the barbershop to be a resourceful place for people. I didn't want it to be a place where they where they come and they're scared and, you know, they leave smelling like they smoke, you know, eight packs of cigarettes. Well I was amazed in your book at how they you, they didn't show up to open the barbershop on time or they'd just leave and go do something else with somebody sitting in their chair. <laughs> thinking, oh, that's business as usual. And, 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 and you, you know, it's sad that it's like that, but it's true. <laughs> but you didn't run yours that way, and I'm thinking, you know, that's, that's really quite remarkable when you grew up in it seeing the way it ran, but you didn't choose. There again, you have a choice. You didn't choose to set yours up that way. You set yours up for excellence, which is why you're so successful. (laughs) Tell us us about your health care outreach. Mm -hmm. Sure. Well, actually, how I started in health care, again, I was, um, I had, started my first business, which was the barbershop. And how I got the idea was one day I was cutting a gentleman's hair and one of the men, uh, one of my customers walked in and he had an appointment and he told me, he said, I'll be right back. I'm going to run to the store because he had a few minutes before his appointment. He's early. So he comes back and he has like a bag of light bulbs that's like a 30-day supply. And, and I said, what are you doing with all those light bulbs? 
And he said, you have a light bulb. I think it was in another room that he could see when he walked in, but I couldn't see. He said, you have a light bulb that's out, and I'm going to change it for you, and I bought you some extra ones. And even though I had experienced, you know, not so good times, you know, working at, you know, another barbershop, the patrons of my barbershop were like, they were the sweetest, most compassionate, most thoughtful men in the world. And they treated me like I was a queen. And, you know, I had this, and I think I write about this in the book, I had this one guy that, you know, shaves were like five bucks. He paid me 75 bucks. Oh. I had, you know, doctors and reporters and lawyers and just regular people in the community. At that time, um, I think the haircuts, they may have been 15, 20 bucks. And, you know, they would pay me 40 bucks. And so I wanted to find a way to give back to them to build something new, something vibrant, something, you know, just something from the ground up, something that, you know, Nashville has never seen before. And so that's how I got the idea to start my healthcare company. And when I started my first business, I had worked three full-time jobs for three months in order to get the money um, to buy the supplies and, you know, the, fill out the, the license, paperwork, and all that kind of stuff. But I kept a third shift job working as a caregiver. So imagine that. You know, you're working as a caregiver at nighttime, making six fifty an hour, and then in the morning you go to your own business. So clearly I could have quit that job, but I kept that third shift job at the time because I knew that, you know, being a new business owner, I've never been to college, um, I didn't have anybody to show me how to juggle more than one thing at one time and and so forth. So I kept that job to kind of help teach me, so to speak. And needless to say, you know, a few months down the road when I decided to um, build a new barbershop from the ground up, which I knew would take thousands of dollars, I began to think, okay, now how am I going to pay for this? And so I went to work one night um, working as a caregiver, and I thought to myself, I said, I wonder if I could own a business like this. And, of course, you know, because it was such a huge, gigantic idea, something inside of me said, yeah, right. You know, but then something else inside of me said, sure, you can try. And lo and behold, you know, by the grace of God, I found out um, where to get the application from. And when I got the application, it said that it would take you eight to ten months to complete this application because you literally have to build the company on paper. And right. And proposal to the state and... It took me a total of two years to do it, but I did it. But you did it. So that's how I paid for my new barbershop. What a wonderful story. And that story brings us right up to another commercial break. We're going to hear more from Chautauqua Webb when we come back, so please stay tuned. Your favorite World Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
To succeed in life today, you have to respond well to change and be willing to take chances. On Star Style, Be the Star You Are, the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan and her sidekick, daughter Heather Brittany, deliver lessons of success spanning the generations with live interviews with trailblazers, authors, and experts. Join Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany on the Power Hour, Star Style, Be the Star You Are, every Thursday from 3 to 4 p.m. Pacific, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern on World Talk Variety. For positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio, it's Star Style. Be the star you are. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to talk. You are tuned in to The Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is theselfimprovementblog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to The Self-Improvement Show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. My guest today is Chautauqua Webb, and we've been talking about her life of remarkable, remarkable accomplishments. Chautauqua, before we get into this last segment, tell the listeners how they can reach you, where they can find your book, those things. Okay. Yes, they can go start off by going to my website, which is www.chitokawebb. Dot com and that is chitokaweb.com. And once they land on the homepage, um, if you look to the right, you will see all of the social media icons. Um, there's Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube, and you can connect with me on all those social media sites. Um, you can also go on, click on the Where to Buy tab, and it will take you to uh, Amazon. Uh, Barnes and Nobles, uh, the Indie Bookstore. I'm all over the place. You can find me at Cokesbury, Walmart. Um, and and so. it's a wonderful read. It really is a wonderful read. I couldn't put it down once I got into it. I had to know what you were going to be into next. <laughs> uh, it, <laughs> and I just sort of held my breath through some of it. Um, one yeah. of the things we haven't been able to talk about, I'll just ha- share quickly with our listeners before I ask you this big question. You know, you had a period at your most stressful, busiest time probably of going blind. You were blind for, what, six months? Yes. Something like that. And you came through that. And, you know, you give credit to that something inside of you Talk about what that something inside of you is and what it means to you, how you get in touch with it. Uh, well, that's something that I'm talking about is God. Yes. Um, the reason why I did not give it a name is because I wanted to start um, I wanted to start when I first knew um, it was something, and when I knew it was something, I didn't know it was God. I just knew it was something. Um, and I would say how you... Um, connect to it is you have to know you have to know your lane, and and what I mean by that when I say you have to know your lane, you have to know that you know 
before anything and after anything, you're human. And one of the things that I've learned, been fortunate enough to learn, is to know that it's okay to be human. Even all the things, the trials and tribulations that I've been through, I've learned how to release. I've learned to um, know that it's okay to cry, learn to know that it's okay to doubt, learn that um, it's okay to, to feel like you just can't make it anymore. You know, allow all those natural emotions to run through you because when you can do that, then you can feel and see that there is something bigger than you that, that you can lean on and that something is always there. So I would say how I learned to connect with it is to learn my lane. And my lane is I am a human being, regardless if I'm successful, regardless if I'm not successful. At the end of the day, in the beginning of the day, I'm a person. I'm human. And so I focus on being human, and I let God do God. Ah, that's wise, wise advice. Um, Say that again. I focus on on being human, and I let God be God. How profound is that? Yeah, most some of us try to, but some of us try to be God and think we're supposed to be perfect, and and that's never expected of us. Right, it's definitely not designed. It's definitely not designed that way. And you know, one of the reasons, and and to add to to this question, um, one of the reasons why I subtitled the book "How to Hang On to Heaven When You're Going Through Hell," because you know you can have hell in heaven. But as long as you hang on to that heaven, hell will pass on through. And if you live a little longer, hell will come back again. So hell is not, a, it's not avoidable. It's not something you can debate. It's not something you can pay off or give away. Or Hell is just a part of being in heaven. But it's okay. It's okay. You know, and that's sometimes that's the time when we learn the most, make the most progress, uh, grow up more is, is those times that, that we come through that period of hell. And right. usually, and, unless you just refuse to face it, you usually come way out ahead when you go through those times. It's almost like an unwritten law or something. In the book you sent me to review, you wrote, Give it all you got. And I, when it, it didn't mean that much to me when I got the book, but by the time I finished the book, <laughs> it, it meant a great deal. And, and is that sort of your motto, give it all you've got? Um, I guess you could say that's my motto, but the one reason why I write that is because I know that's what it takes. you got to give it all you got. And if you give it all you got, then God will do the rest. But you can't give, you know, some of it, like you were talking earlier about hoping and trying and, and all that. You have to give it all you got. And you certainly have done that in, in your lifetime. Um, I, I don't see any part of your life, even as a child, that you weren't giving it all you got. Yeah, you know? so I kind of, kind of, um, I would say that was just the hand that I was dealt. But, you know, the, the, what I found... Um, again, focusing on choices, is that, you know, none of us, it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, even Oprah Winfrey and Bill Gates and those people that we were talking about, none of us have a choice in writing the beginning of our story. But every last one of us is the author of the end of our story. 
So I chose to focus on that. Absolutely. We're right up to the end of the show, and I just, I really hate to see this show end. <laughs> There's so many things I'd like to talk to you about. Um, but what's the, what's the final thought you'd like to leave with our listeners today, Chitoka? What do you want them to take from this? That it's already all right. Oftentimes, um, we think that life is going to be all right uh, when we get that job. We lose 50 pounds. We get married. Uh, uh, we accomplish something or conquer something. But life is already all right. It's all right right now. And if you walk in that light, that will take you to where you need to be or wherever it is that you want to go. It's just remembering it's all right right now. It's already all, all right. It's all, that there's a song in there somewhere. I think um, it's already <laughs> all right. It's all right right now. However you want to frame that, it's all right. Oh, mm-hmm. That's a remarkable thought. Next week, our guest is going to be Betsy Thompson who wrote a book and will be talking about Walking Through Illusion. Chitoka, thank you so, so much for being our guest today. You're a remarkable woman. I'd love to keep in touch with you. Um, Just thanks. Oh, you're welcome, and thank you for having me, and we will keep in touch. Absolutely. Um, you're, You're delightful. You're powerful. You're... A role model, I believe, I said when I reviewed your book, and uh, just, you know, give it all you got and keep on keeping on, girl. And part Weeble. <laughs> and part Weeble. Yes, and part Weeble. And this is Irene Collin for all you Weebles everywhere saying stay tuned. Come back next week um, to hear our guest, Betsy Thompson. We'll have more for you then. Thank you again for joining Dr. Irene Conlon for the Self-Improvement Show. Please listen again next Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Remember that improvement out there starts in here. <laughs>